Throughout history, there have been some epic church battles, but rest assured, no conflict is so big that we're not able to handle it as God directs us. Welcome to Through the Bible. Jesus himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Jesus assures us that he's building it, and all of the fights and disagreements that have festered through the years won't keep his church down. Today, as Dr. J. Vernon McGee leads us through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we take to heart how to learn to live at peace with each other, to disagree graciously, and to press on in our joint goal of following the Lord. So turn to 1 Corinthians in your copy of God's Word, and let's read a couple of letters from the Bible bus. Here are two from listeners of our Zulu program that's heard in Southern Africa. The first listener writes, A friend of mine at the university has been tuning into your program almost every day. When I first heard it, I laughed and said to him, Why are you listening to such nonsense? But I continue to listen. After a month or so, I was so convicted by the truth of God that I told him I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus. We both knelt down and I cried to Jesus for salvation. It was even before you finished your message. Well, what a testimony to the power of God at work through His Word. Would you pray for more stories like this one to come to us? As the Spirit of God opens the floodgates of salvation everywhere that His Word is heard, we would love to be able to read more like this. Here's another letter. This is also from a Zulu listener. I work as a laborer. I did not know anything about Jesus before I heard your radio program. A pastor who visits our village periodically gave me your program guide and asked me to listen. Jesus will give you new life, he said. On that day, I did not understand what he meant, but now I do. Because ever since I began listening, I have experienced the great love of Jesus. It covers me like honey. I now love the Lord, and I have asked him to be my personal Lord and Savior, possible through his blood shed for the payments of my sin. Now I am confident that since I belong to Jesus, no one can snatch me from his hands. Please pray for me and my family. Wow, aren't these amazing stories? Well, let's pray for one another now. Heavenly Father, by your sovereign grace, we're saved when we hear and believe your word. So we ask that your spirit would move more and more in the hearts of people through the Zulu broadcast, as we heard about today, and in every other language across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 1 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we almost got through the introduction to the epistle of 1 Corinthians last time. We have now verse 9, the last verse of this introduction, the salutation and thanksgiving. And this is a verse that you could very easily pass over, and you'd feel like maybe that you hadn't really missed very much. And yet I feel that verse 9 is probably the key to the epistle. It emphasizes here the Lord Jesus Christ as being the solution to the problem, but it also emphasizes how he's the solution to all the problems that they had in the church and the personal problems they had in Corinth among believers there. And as we said before, it's startling to note the similarity between the problems in the Corinthian church and the problems today and the solution I believe is the same as it was then. Now, let's come to verse 9 and spend just a moment with this verse here. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now, you've noticed that we've had the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in this section in practically every verse. And when I say practically every verse, I mean every verse. Beginning with the first verse, he's mentioned, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and now 9. In other words, this is the ninth reference to him in nine verses. So apparently, Paul is putting an emphasis upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he makes two tremendous statements here. God is faithful, by whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we have an extended name given to our Lord here. He is called the fellowship of his Son, God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Christ Jesus, our Lord so that there are four points of identification of him here. So there's no way of misunderstanding. Now the word that is important here is the word fellowship in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I've had this word before us before, and the word here is koinonion. And koinonion is used by Paul again and again. And fellowship here actually has several different meanings. It means fellowship as we understand it today. Also, Paul used it to refer to the contribution. He told about taking up a fellowship for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And that word is koinonia. He was taking up a contribution. And then he speaks actually in this epistle. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he speaks of the communion here, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And he uses that word koinonion. It means communion. It can mean dispensation. It can mean partnership. And that's a Good word for it, partnership. And here is the way I think it should be here. God is faithful by whom you were called into the partnership of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is without doubt one of the greatest privileges that is given to us. Imagine that today when you're in Christ, when you've come to him as your Savior, he is our partner. He's willing to be our partner. And I don't mean to call him that, but he's our partner. The word can mean partaker, and it can mean communication. It has all those wonderful words. Therefore, it means an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there are two ways in which you can have a koinonion or a partnership with Jesus Christ. There is a business partnership. I know two men today, one of them, very fine Christian. These fellows came out of the service years ago. They were friends in the service. They formed a partnership, and one of them got converted. Apparently, the other didn't. And it's been an unhappy partnership ever since, but very difficult to break because 
They have quite a business, and there's quite an investment that is there. But that's a partnership, but it's not as it should be. Then there's another way in which there is a partnership, and that's a love relationship. Marriage is a partnership in that sense. It's a koinonion, and it should be a very close, intimate relationship. There's a passage back in the Old Testament I can't help but smile, and I think I know what God had in mind because he'd been talking about the man and his wife. And he said, among other things, there were several things they were not to do, that they were not to hitch an ox and an ass together in a plow. They're not to plow together. Well, in marriage, I've seen many an ox and ass that have been hitched up together in marriage. And they ought not to be, by the way, because marriage is a partnership. Now, what does it mean, therefore, to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our partnership? Well, in business, it means that you own the things together. Now, everything that I've got belongs to Jesus Christ, belongs to him as much as it does me. And he's interested in, therefore, what I own. And he ought to own everything I got. I must say that there was a time when I owned a few things I don't think he cared about. And I'm sure that there was a time when I very selfishly thought only of myself in connection with what I have. I don't have too much. When he's in partnership with me, he's not in what you'd call big business. But what I got is today. I have a car, and I got a nice Chevrolet car because a wonderful dealer helped me get it, you know. And when I drove out with it, and it was mine, (laughs) I told the Lord Jesus that it's his too, you know. And he's ridden with me in it, by the way. I feel like that we ought to bring him into close relationship. He's the owner of that car, too, and whatever I got, it's his. I thank him for my house and thank him for taking care of it because it's his, too, you see. Whatever I got is his. And then this matter of marriage. Now, that means certain things. You have mutual interests. Now, that means Christ is interested in me, and I'm interested in him. And that carries it to a pretty high plane, you see. And then we have a mutual devotion that's involved. His resources are mine, <laughs> and mine are his. He doesn't get very much, but what I've got in the marriage ceremony, and a very beautiful one, I've never used it like this because I feel like it might be misunderstood. And the bride says, with my body, I thee worship. That is, I present it to you. And he owns me. Now, that has answered quite a few questions today for me about where I can go and what I can do. Now, I'm going to say something. I ought to be very careful about saying this. But I used to smoke quite a bit. I couldn't now, if I wanted to, got cancer in the lungs, and you'd be pretty foolish for me to now. But when I made the discovery, not just that my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, But, you know, he belongs to me, and I belong to him. And so I want to give him the best body I got. And so I decided that answered the question for me. And I don't know, maybe it won't answer it for you, friends, but it'll have a lot to do with what you do, you see. 
this thing's on a different plane than I can't do this and I can't do that as a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ, and he belongs to me. Then there's something else, mutual service. That is something that goes in partnership. In other words, he accommodates himself to our weakness and his gentleness. I need his gentleness. And we accept his power. Now, there's a verse of Scripture I'd like to read to you that I think has been mistranslated. And it was called to my attention by Dr. G. Calma Morgan. And I've done a little research there, and I'm convinced that our translation is not the accurate one. And it's Isaiah 63.9. You may want to turn there because I'm turning there and I'm going to read it the way it is in my translation. It says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Now, that seems to say, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and that's been used to comfort a great many folks. It would mean that he comes down, and in our weakness, he's weak, and that sort of thing. Now, I don't agree with that at all. The better translation is to put in the negative, not in all their affliction. He was not afflicted. And to me, that's lots more meaningful. It means this, that I stumble and fall. Well, he doesn't stumble and fall. He accommodates himself to my stumbling, my blindness, my ignorance, my weakness. He accommodates himself to that. But he doesn't necessarily mean that he becomes weak at all. I heard a preacher once make the statement, you know, he says, now if you get into trouble and you do that ignorantly without realizing it and you are caught by circumstances, he's going to see you through and he'll help you out of it. But he says, if you go into it deliberately and foolishly, well, he'll let you alone and not work it out. Well, I want to say to that preacher that that's not my experience. Oh, I have blundered, and I have stumbled, and I have fallen, and I did it deliberately. And he didn't let me down. He was there. He accommodated himself to my weakness. Oh, how wonderful this is, friends. And the partnership of Jesus Christ is the solution to the problems of life. And I think there's a verse way over in the 15th chapter you ought to put with this verse, and I think that it goes with it because we've now finished the salutation, and he's going to deal with a lot of things between, but when you come to the end of the 15th chapter, he says, therefore, my beloved, the therefore goes back, gathers up all this marvelous epistle, but it goes way back here to verse 9, and notice this, God's faith. I can depend on the faithfulness of God, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Wherefore, or therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's taken me a long time to learn this. In fact, I've had to retire to learn this that I'm just going ahead with him as my partner and all these problems that come up that you see today. He's my partner. 
And therefore, may I say to you, I can count on him. I can look to him. And he's part and parcel of all of it. Therefore, that's the solution to the problems today, the frustrations of life, my beloved. Now we're going to find out that they had some real problems in the Corinthian church. Will you notice this now? I begin in verse 10, and here we are going to see concerning divisions and party spirit. And we have that beginning here at verse 10, all the way through the fourth chapter at verse 21, through the fourth chapter. Now, will you notice, first of all, we have here the centrality of Christ crucified corrects divisions. Now, will you notice this? Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here we have 10 verses, and in each one of these 10 verses, the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. This epistle emphasizes the Lordship of Christ. We've heard a great deal about it. We see very little of it today. And that's the reason that the church today, and as far as I can tell, I don't know of a church that doesn't have problems. And most Christians have problems today. Now, that's the Lordship of Christ. Not just talking about it. Is he your Lord? Have you made him your Lord and your Master? We saw back in Second Chronicles that you can't have revival until that takes place. Now listen, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Now that doesn't mean identical things, but that you're not clawing each other to death, that you're not fighting each other, and that you're not hating each other, that you all speak the same things and that there be no divisions. And the word is schismata, that there be no divisions among you. And the word here means and suggests there's no open break in the church. The church is just fractured. That was all. No break. But it was that infant, the gossip, the criticism, the hatred, the bitterness. And believe me, I've seen that in churches, friends. Oh, to have that awful bitterness in your heart. My friend, he's your partner. You can't have that in your life, you see, that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. Now, what is that same mind? What's the mind of Christ? Now, listen to him. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, the word here is strife. Quarrel, and the word is Eris, the goddess of strife, wranglings, you see, the schisms. There was all of this in the church, and there was strife in that church. And Paul got it firsthand, and he called the name. He says, I got this from Chloe. And friends, if you're going to make a charge, back it up with your name. I had a man that came to me and when I first became pastor in downtown Los Angeles. And he said to me, I want to tell you, Dr. McGee, about a certain situation. And he told me about a certain man and about him. And believe me, it wasn't very nice. And he wanted me to do something about it. He said, I think that you ought to bring this up before the board and that this should be handled. And if they won't handle it, bring it before the church. I said, fine. I said, that's the way it should be done. 
Now I said, what night did you come? Oh, he said, I don't intend to come. You're the pastor. Oh, I said, wait a minute. And he said, you're the one to handle it. I said, you're right. I'm the one to handle it. I'm pastor now. But I said, you will have to be present and make the charge. Oh, he said, I won't do that. Well, I said, if you're not willing to sign your name to it, we'll forget it. And we forgot it because he wasn't willing to sign his name to it. Now, Chloe, I admire Chloe there in Corinth because Chloe said how it was. She brought it out in the open and said, there's trouble here in this church. It's bad. And it should be dealt with. Imagine going to the doctor. Imagine when I went to the doctor. He just said, now, look, we don't want to get excited. We don't want to get disturbed. We don't want to become emotional. We don't want to cause any trouble. We want you to have a nice, peaceful mind. I'm just going to sprinkle a little talcum powder on this place, and everything will be all right, and you'll just smell good. Yeah, but my friends, I'd have died of cancer, you see. You've got to deal with cancer, and you've got to deal with trouble in the church. And woe to the man who brings it out in the open. But if it's wrong, friends, it has to be dealt with. And unless it's dealt with, why, the church is going to suffer. Of course it will. Now, what was the problem in the church there? Well, they had a bunch of baby Christians, and generally the babies do all the howling, you know. That's the ballroom. When we made a room for babies, when I was pastor in Pasadena, we called it the ballroom. But I soon found out in the churches I've been to that you can call the whole church a ballroom because a bunch of babies bawling. Now, will you notice? Now, this I say, that every one of you, Seth, I'm a Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Oh, was that a nice little thing they had going here in the church. Now, there were some that that followed Paul. They were proud pupils of Paul. And then there were those that followed Apollos. They were adoring admirers of Apollos. And then there were some that liked Simon Peter, Cephas, and they were the chummy cult of Cephas. And just look at these men for a moment. We don't have but a moment. Paul, we know, I think, more about him and Cephas than any other. He was intellectual. He was brilliant. He was courageous, but apparently not attractive physically. But those that, who love the Word of God love Paul. Now, Simon Peter, he was fiery. He was rugged. He was weak at first, but he was a rugged preacher of the gospel. Great heart, very emotional. And then there was Paulus. He was one of the great preachers of the apostolic church who was not an apostle. He's never been given much recognition. He was a great preacher. I think he probably was the Billy Graham of that day. Now, these men were all strong personalities. And they never made the divisions. They all contended for the faith together. They maintained the unity of the Spirit. And they all three exalted Jesus Christ. But the members of the church at Corinth, they were making the divisions. Now, here's this little group. They say, oh, we love Brother Paul. He's so spiritual. And another says, well, I love Simon Peter because he pounds the pulpit and he's evangelistic. And the others said, oh, I love this man Apollos, he soars to the heights, and he reaches the multitude. And did you know all three of them were God's men? <laughs> but the church in Corinth was all divided because of this. And so Paul's going to talk to them about it, and he's going to show them that the centrality of Christ is the answer to the 
factions and fractions that you have in the church today. And that's the only solution, my friend. Until men and women are willing to come to the person of Christ, there'll be no solution. Well, we're going to see that a little more in detail next time, and we'll move on from there. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. If you're having conflicts in your church, that was good advice from Dr. McGee, wasn't it? Make the person of Jesus Christ the solution to your problems. Put him first, and the solutions to your problems will come to light. One of our great joys here at Through the Bible is hearing how God uses these studies in your life. How about First and Second Chronicles? What did you learn? Or if you've just joined us, how is God speaking to your heart from today's lesson in 1 Corinthians? You know we'd love to hear from you about how faithful God is to accomplish His purposes using His Word. So email us at BibleBus at ttb.org or comment on our Facebook page. And, of course, you can always write to us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Be sure to join us back on the Bible Bus next time. I'm Steve Schwetz, and hey, I'm going to save you a seat, so be there. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?